If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Exodus 14, 10 through 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It is, not what we, is it not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you will have only to be silent. Our New Testament reading is Acts 4, 23-31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made us who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of the Lord with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Please bow with me in prayer for the word. Lord, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you, Lord, that you are not far away, but you are near to us, that you love us dearly. We thank you, Lord, for giving us your word and for speaking to us and allowing us, Lord, to understand your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, at this time that you would, Lord, help us to focus, help us to, Lord, truly give ourselves to you in worship by intently listening to your word, that, Lord, you may work in our hearts and our lives, and that we may live according to your word, that, Lord, you may be glorified in our lives. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our sermon series in 
the devotional that we're using from our daily bread called On the Shoulders of Giants. And of course, these are daily devotionals of scripture that are also mixed in with a lot of great stories throughout black history about different brothers and sisters that God used to show his mercy, his justice, his love, right, to his people. And as we continue to celebrate Black History Month, we're reminded of these many stories of how God led these people who are oppressed, these slaves, to freedom, both literally and spiritually. We also, as we hear these stories, are grieved, and we grieve with them. Those who suffered terrible, terrible injustices, those who had their families ripped apart, those who were treated then less than human, those who died unjustly. Yet we also are strengthened in our faith as we hear the stories of perseverance and we hear these stories of how these people, by the power of God and the strength of God, they endure, endured these horrible injustices and they put their hope in God. They are part of the saints in history. They are part of the people of God. They are part of the cloud of witnesses that God has given to us so that our faith may also be increased, that our faith would mature, and that we may have more confidence in our God. They are testimonies of God's goodness and his faithfulness to his people. Stories like Nanny Helen Burroughs, who, who was born in 1878. She dedicated her life to helping and educating black women at the National Training School for Women and Girls, which she founded in 1909. Or stories like Phyllis Wheatley, who became the first African-American to have a book published in America in 1773. And she was an outspoken abolitionist, and she was a worshiper of God. These women, along with countless others throughout history, they loved God, and they trusted in him. And as we read on the shoulders of giants, to quote, they fought oppression and persevered with an undivided faith in the Lord, Many did not see the justice they dedicated their life to, but they dedicated their life to the Lord. When we hear stories like these, we celebrate their boldness, their courage, and their great accomplishments. Yet we do so knowing that it was God who did it all. God was the one who orchestrated it all. And so in celebrating Black History Month, we are not simply celebrating the accomplishments of these African-American brothers and sisters throughout American history. We are not celebrating ourselves. We are not celebrating humanity for becoming better, for us becoming better people, for becoming more progressive and not as bad as we used to be. We're not celebrating our society for becoming better. No, as Christians, in celebrating Black History Month, we are celebrating what God has done, how God trampled the injustices through these courageous men and women, how God purged the evil in our society, how God heard the prayers of his people. And in celebrating Black History Month, as Christians, we give the glory to God, not to ourselves. In the secular world, they give praise and glory to each other but we give praise and glory to God. We celebrate how God was faithful then, and he is still faithful now. We celebrate how God was good then, 
and he is still good today. He helped his people then, and he still helps his people today. This is the mentality that we ought to have as we hear these stories, as we hear these testimonies. These aren't stories that are far away. These aren't stories that have nothing to do with us because we might not be of the same ethnicity or maybe we weren't living through that time. No, as Christians, we hear these testimonies, these praises of God, and we celebrate together with the cloud of witnesses, with the saints throughout history. We praise God for what he has done. As an immature Christian, I myself, I remember thinking when I heard other people's testimonies or when I heard the stories of of how people praise God in their own personal experiences, I thought, well, you know, that's them. And what about me? I want to experience God. I don't know if God can do that for me. I want want God to answer my prayer. Of course, this was a, it's not wrong, but it was an immature way to think of what God is doing, not only in my life, but in the lives of all of his people throughout all of history. And so Hebrews chapter 12, the author reminds us that therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God has given us these cloud of witnesses that we may run this race with endurance, with perseverance, with faith. And so when we hear what God has done, whether it's in our lives or whether it's in the lives of others, Let us rejoice and praise God for what he has done and what he continues to do today. Such is the case for our Old Testament and our New Testament readings this morning. I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we read these stories, we think, okay, well, that's great. That was a long time ago with a different people in a different era, has nothing to do with me. But no, when we listen to these stories, when we read these stories, we give praise to God Because the God who saved the Israelites, the God who worked to free the Israelites, he is the same God who works in our lives today and even this morning. And so we pick up in Exodus chapter 14 in our Old Testament passage. This is after the Israelites have been enslaved for about 400 years. They've been taken as slaves. They've been made slaves by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, through a series of events, finally releases the Israelites, lets them go from their land. Of course, we, are, we know the story about how Moses, he went into the wilderness and God called him back, the burning bush and everything, the ten plagues, all of that. And finally, God releases, through the hand of God, the Israelites are finally released by Pharaoh. They journey off into the wilderness, and they're making their way to the promised land. However, en route to their destination, God has them do something a little bit funny. I don't know if you've ever read really in depth this text, but God actually has the Israelites turn back and go back down south. So they're making their way. They're trekking to the promised land, and God says, Moses, tell the people to go back to Pi-Hahiroth and camp there in front of the Red Sea. 
And at this point, the Israelites, of course, have seen everything that God has done in their lives. Through all of the plagues, they've seen the hand of God, how mighty he is. And so as Moses leads them, they simply obey and they go to camp in front of the Red Sea. And it's interesting because in the text, God tells Moses exactly what he's going to do. He tells them exactly why he's turning them back and having them camp at the Red Sea. He says, I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh and his people are going to come after you. And they're going to think that they can overtake you and that they can take you back as slaves. But he says, I'm doing this for my own glory. Because on that day, not only will you see that there's only one true God and I am the one true God. But Pharaoh and all of his people will know that I am the one true God. He tells Moses exactly what he's going to do. And I'm sure Moses told the people what God was going to do. And so they go and camp in front of the Red Sea and everything happens exactly as God says it would. Pharaoh and the people come to their senses. They say, what have we done? We've let all of these people go and we have no more workers. We, we got to get them back. And so they go and they, they, they get their chariots and they get their horses and they get their army together and Pharaoh leads them and they chase after the Israelites and it is quick and they overtake the Israelites. If you look in the, in the text, it actually says that Pharaoh and his army overtake the Israelites. So now we're at verse 10 in today's passage. And we see that the Israelites look up. You know, it's kind of like, it gives you kind of like a, a, an image of like they're just kind of like doing their thing or they're sleeping. And then they look up and all of a sudden Pharaoh and his army are right in front of them. They look up and this great grand army has overtaken them. And suddenly they are deathly afraid. They are deathly afraid. These are the people who said, all right, we'll follow you, Moses. We'll do what you, oh, you want us to go back? You want us to camp in front of a sea? Sure, we'll do that. We'll do. And then all of a sudden, now that, that this great army, now that this struggle, this hardship has come in front of them, all of a sudden, what are they doing? They start rebuking Moses they start crying out to God they say what have you done have you brought us here to kill us it would have been better didn't we tell you that it would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt as slaves and they're talking all this nonsense right and if you think about it it's because they didn't really know God they didn't really know who God was they had been enslaved for hundreds of years they had been immersed in a different culture with different idols and different gods. They thought Pharaoh was a god. To them, God, Yahweh, was the god of their nation, god of their people, the religion of their ancestors. They didn't actually know God. And so they thought, what can God, what can this Jehovah, this Yahweh God, what can he do for us now? There is a great army in front of us, and there is a greater sea behind us. It's like those who grew up in church, who go to their parents' church, and maybe they believe their parents' God or their parents' Jesus, or maybe some of us who grew up in a society that's influenced 
by Western Christianity. And, oh, I, it's so funny because when we were living in Georgia, it was the first time I had ever lived in the South. And where I'm from in Las Vegas, it's like, if you talk about Jesus, people are like, what, Jesus? Who is this Jesus? You know, and, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know, you know, and you have to, you go through them. It's a great conversation in the South. It's like, hey, uh, you, want, you, you go to church? Hey, you, and they're like, oh, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I go to church, you know, every, you know, Easter. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, my parents are Christian. And everybody's Christian in Georgia. And it was really hard for me to, to talk about God because everybody went to church. It's kind of like that, right? These Israelites, they knew about God. He was the God of their ancestors, but they didn't really know God. And so we see here that they're in the wilderness. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And they start to look to other things rather than God for their salvation. But here's a beautiful thing about our God. Even though we cry out against him, even though we forsake him, he does not leave us, he does not abandon us, but to those whom he has chosen, he reveals himself to us, and he receives glory through us. And we already know the story. God saves the Israelites. And he destroys the Egyptians. He does this for two reasons. To save and preserve his people. But also to show the people that he is the only true God. And to silence anyone who would oppose him. And he wanted to give stronger faith to those who believe in him. He wanted to give stronger faith, perseverance, endurance, courage, boldness to his people. By showing him the, the magnitude of his power. He does it all for his glory. He does it for his glory. He does it. Not us. The Lord in our lives, not only in the lives of the Israelites way back then, not only in the lives of those who are fighting for freedom, we're fighting against injustices just 100, 200 years ago, not, and, and even today, not, not only in, in th their lives, but in our lives today, the Lord does it. The Lord fights for us. The Lord goes before us. He does it for his glory. We know that no matter what situation we're in, no matter what circumstance we're in, we know that we can be sure of the salvation of the Lord because it is for His glory and not ours. It's about Him and it's not about me. If it were for my glory, if it were about me, then we could not be confident that God would do it. We cannot be confident that God will fight for us. We cannot be confident that God will bring us salvation if He does it for me. But because He does it for His glory, we can be confident that he will always do what he says he will do. And so Moses responds to the people. You've got to listen closely. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. There is nothing in this about them doing something to fight for themselves. He says, fear not, 
Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You have only to be what? To do stuff? To cry out to the Lord? To say something? No, he says, be silent, stand firm, and watch the Lord go before you and bring you salvation. Fear not. They were to stop looking at their surroundings. Stop looking at their situation. Stop looking at the army that's in front of them and the sea that's behind them. And they were to start looking at the salvation that the Lord would bring to them. They were to start to look at the God who is greater than an army, greater than a king, greater than a sea, a God who would fight for them. They were to stand firm. Not only were they to see the salvation of their Lord just indifferently, like just stand there and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, oh, look at you know, God taking care of the Egyptians. No, they were to stand firm with confidence, with trust, with rejoicing as the Lord brought salvation. They were to see the salvation of the Lord. They were to witness that God, Yahweh, Jehovah, is the only true God. God greater than Pharaoh, greater than Pharaoh's army. And they were to see that the Lord, God, is the only one who could save them. He's the only one who could save them. And of course, this has many, many implications. We see that physically God protected and saved the Israelites. But we also see that God saved the Israelites to be his people. Right? Metaphorically, we see symbolically, many scholars say that as God led the people through the Red Sea, he was baptizing them. He was converting them into his people. He was making them holy. And of course, after that, he gave them his law. He was making them his people. So physically and metaphorically, spiritually, he was the only one that could save the Israelites in whatever situation that they were in. And just as a side note, uh, for those of you who are hearing that for the first time, uh, a lot of people say that, you know, that it was a type of baptism that they're going through the Red Sea. Uh, if you notice, they were walking on dry land, so they were probably sprinkled by the water. You know, they were not, you know, I'm just, you know, just as a side note, I'm just, I'm just I got to say it, you know, we're Presbyterian here, so. And also, you know, they, also there were probably babies and infants, you know, walking through there as well. So I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, okay, yeah. Back to what we're talking about. You see, God, he indeed, he fights for his people, for his glory. He sent his angel to go in front of his people, to lead his people, the Bible says. And when Pharaoh and his army approached the Israelites, he sent the angel to go behind his people so that the angel would protect the people as they crossed the Red Sea. So it's not like Pharaoh and his army were like, oh, there they are. They were right in front of them, but they could not approach the Israelites because God was protecting them with his angel, with his cloud, with his fire. He was protecting his people as they crossed the Red Sea. Imagine Pharaoh, he's just standing there. He can't do anything. But that is our God. He fights for us. God is the only one who can do this. He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can part a sea. 
He's the only one that can save us in a situation and a circumstance where there, we as human beings see no other way. God still saves. The Lord saves his people and he destroys his enemies while receiving glory from all. Both those who are saved as well as those who are destroyed. Even the Egyptians we see in the text recognize they finally, as they're being engulfed in this sea, as they see this great cloud and fire, they say, truly, this is God. God, Jehovah, is fighting for his people. And this is all happening just as the Lord told Moses. Of course, a good Bible reader will always contextualize and connect how this relates to the New Testament, the Bible as a whole, how this points us to Christ. God saves the Israelites from impending physical slavery and death. But this also symbolizes our own slavery today, slavery to sin and slavery to death as a result of sin. And only God, just like only God could save the Israelites on that day, only God through his son Jesus Christ can save us from our slavery to sin and death. You see, he, Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses was just the messenger. He was just a guy with a staff and he just did whatever God said. Jesus is the greater Moses. Not only is he the messenger sent by God, but he is our salvation. He is the only one who can save us. In the midst of our doubt, in the midst of whatever circumstance we're in, because of Jesus Christ, we are able to fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Though it may seem impossible in our lives, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times I've rebuked the Lord. You don't know how many times I've turned away from him. You don't know what my family life is like. You don't know what my background is like. It doesn't matter. What men cannot do, what is impossible for man, is possible for God. He is able to save. So as we hear the story about the Israelites, let our faith be strengthened. Let us persevere and endure this race that has been set before us. Let us hear the witness of the cloud of witnesses, this, these great testimonies of our awesome God and how he saves his people in the face of oppression, in the face of death. And let us be reminded that that same God, our God, continues to fight for us today. The salvation of God caused the people to trust in him and to follow him. And we see that in the New Testament. So we have to relay all of this in the New Testament. We see in Acts chapter 4 today, we're reading about Pentecost has come, right? The Holy Spirit has come upon his people. People are going out and they're preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only to Hebrew Jews, but Hellenistic Jews and people from all over the place. And Peter and John, they're going around and they're healing people. And they're healing this guy at Solomon's portico who has been lame his whole life. And the Sanhedrin sees it, and they don't like it. 
they don't, it's not that they don't like that they healed this guy. They don't like that they are proclaiming a different gospel, right? This gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so they take Peter and John and they threaten them. They say, don't say that anymore. They say, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, it would have been easier for the disciples to just say, all right, all right, well, whatever, whatever, and just go out and just keep doing it, right? But this is what Peter and John answer them in Acts chapter 4. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then instead of being discouraged afterwards, after these threats from these Jewish leaders, instead they go back and they pray for more boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel message. Knowing that their lives are in danger. As we see in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, that the Sanhedrin, they had the power to arrest them, to beat them, and ultimately even to kill them, as we see in the story of Stephen. Their faith in God leads them to respond in this way against adversity and persecution because they know that the Lord goes before them and he fights for them and he will bring salvation. Their circumstance did not determine how they would react to God. Their faith in God determined how they would react to their circumstances. I'm going to say that one more time. Their circumstances did not determine how they would react to God. But their faith in God, their understanding of who He is, their understanding that He is the only one that has my life in His hands, their understanding and faith in God determined how they would react to their circumstances. So then they pray that they will have more boldness in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. Their boldness, their story and testimony causes others in the church, others throughout history, and us today to also understand who God is and become bolder in our faith as well. And we see this theme running throughout the book of Acts. And we see this theme running throughout the letters of the New Testament, this cloud of witnesses, the testimonies and the accounts of what God has done through the people of God. It strengthens the faith of the people of God. In the Old Testament, God was taking a people that was not his people and he was making them into his people. It took a lot of time. He was patient with them. He revealed himself to them in many ways. He gave his law to them and he loved them with a steadfast love. He raised up leaders to lead them and help them understand who he is. And those stories for generations and those testimonies for generations and generations helped preserve the faith of the remnant of the people of God all the way through into the New Testament. And even after Jesus ascended into heaven, that cloud of witnesses, that faith that was preserved, continued on into the early church. Their testimony would not only affect those in Jerusalem, 
but also those in Judea and those in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, not only to Hebrew Jews, but Hellenistic Jews, and not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles as well, and not only for those in that time, but for us today. We who come from every nation and every tribe and every tongue, this cloud of witnesses as we read these stories, as we see what God has done throughout history, we are able to confess, Lord, no matter what I'm going through today, I am able to fear not, to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord in my life. God fights for his people and he will continue to fight for his people. He does it for his glory to save many and to redeem all of his people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. The God that saved the Israelites from the Egyptians in Exodus, the God that saved the disciples in Acts, he is the same God that we serve today. He is my God and he is your God. But first, we need to remember that we need fear not, that we need to stand firm, that we need to just be silent and see the salvation of the Lord, see how he has given his own son, Jesus Christ, so that we may have life. Then, then, in the faith that we have received, let us live boldly for the purpose and the glory of God, not being afraid of our circumstance, not being afraid of today or tomorrow. For in times of need, in times of struggle, when we cry out to our Lord, as we have seen him do in the past, we know that he will save us and he will help us again. And if we ever become weak or weary from the battle, then let us gain strength from the cloud of witnesses, the countless testimonies of how God has been faithful, how he gave victory over the devil, how he fights for the oppressed and the defenseless, how he rules over all. And let us, as his people, give him all the praise and the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Throughout history, we are reminded that it is you who goes before your people. It is you and only you who brings salvation to your people. We pray, Lord, that as we gather this morning, as we live our lives this week, remind us that we need to fear not, to only stand firm, and to see the salvation that you bring to us. Strengthen your people to live in a world that increasingly hates you and hates anyone that follows you. Give us strength and help, Lord, our circumstances not dictate the way that we will live for you but let our faith in you dictate the way that we live our lives. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.